Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the show, The Politically Social, and I'm your host, Afia. Today, we have with us Dr. Robert A. Sanders. Dr. Robert A. Sanders is a retired U.S. Navy Judge Advocate General's Corps Captain, a legal national security advisor and educator, a former federal government organization counsel, and private industry military communications and weapons systems engineer. For more than two decades, he developed the critical thinking of diverse groups of global leaders and supported the international human rights, international law, military and diplomatic objectives of the U.S. He has served as a staff attorney and legislative director working with the U.S. Senate and U.S. House of Representatives as a federal civil defense counsel and as a federal criminal prosecutor and defense counsel in the U.S., afloat on Navy ships and overseas. He was previously a U.S. Naval War College military law and operations professor, director of the U.S. Department of Defense, Defense Institute of International Legal Studies, and a commanding officer of the U.S. Naval Legal Service. Services Office, North Central, Deputy Assistant Judge Advocate General, and the in-country legal mentor for the Afghan National Army's first Judge Advocate General and the Ministry of Defense's first General Counsel, Equivalent. Professor Sanders, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be with you. So uh, recently, Biden passed an executive order on the declassification review of certain documents concerning the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001. Now, of course, the American people seek full accountability, but how does the government decide what can or cannot be disclosed from a national security perspective? Well, generally, the uh, classification of documents like that is a 25-year classification because that allows for the facts and events that happen to no longer be relevant uh, in the national security domain. So there's ways in which you classify information first. So top secret, secret, confidential, um, those determine the gravity uh, uh, that could happen to the United States should that information be released. The assumption generally, not always, is that 25 years after that type of classification, that that information will no longer have the same weight or effect on U.S. national security. And so it was deemed to be released unless there's an exemption from it. Now, the 11, uh, September 11th attacks didn't quite make it to the 25-year mark, but President Biden said that in order to have better transparency with the United States and our citizens, some of this material where it doesn't relate to current operations or affect um, certain relationships with other nations could be released. Right, but in your opinion, does this still jeopardize the government's efforts to combat future acts of terrorism? I don't think it does. I, I think there's a, a, a good review that will take place and uh, all the information will be released. There'll be parts that will be exempted because just as your question alludes to, there are ongoing factors that will require us to keep some of those secrets secret. Uh, while domestic terrorism is the number one threat to the American homeland right now, international terrorism hasn't disappeared. It's still there and still can have an effect upon us. Um, how does the government determine when the public interest in disclosure outweighs any damage to national security? Well, you start with the 25-year mark, and then you look at that to determine whether or not 
at that time, each agency who classified, originally classifying agency, will look at the material itself and say, yes, we believe that based on current circumstances and what we now know about this classified information, it is releasable. If they do not believe that, they will seek an exception from that release. And what exactly are the standards of declassification that the government has to follow other than just the 25-year mark, of course? Well, it's a matter of the initial classification. So the initial classification, uh, is it will it cause grave damage to the United States national security if it's released? If that's still in effect, then an exception will be sought and it won't be released. Will it cause significant damage to the United States national security? Uh, if that's still the case, an exception will probably be sought for that as well. Um, so we go back and we look at the original classification and whether or not that's still pertinent to the information and whether or not it should be released. There's also another um, nine-step classification to get to the exceptions. There's nine different categories of exceptions that could be applied, and uh, that will also be taken into account by uh, the agency and uh, another agency, which could say, hey, you know, this is not our stuff, but we think it should not be class not be released because of X, Y, or Z. Uh, often that's the Department of Justice. Right. And, and what type of rules and regulations do the government officials have to follow in order to maximize transparency? Well, I mean, there's, there's certain non-classification rules. There's an executive order that the president uh, initially signed, which allows for these releases, and there's an executive order that allows for these classifications. And um, in terms of personal activities, there's a Privacy Act, which affects individuals and an individual's right to get information from the government upon that it's uh, that's about themselves. And there's a FOIA, which is a Freedom of Information Act release, which allows third parties to reach in and grab information about the activities of the United States government. Um, FOIAs also have an exemption statute which says, hey, if this is going to interfere with ongoing activities, law enforcement or otherwise, or uh, in the secrecy realm, might not allow for its release. So those standards are applied internally by the government to look at its own information and decide whether or not release is applicable. And, and are we really talking about only analytical documents being declassified in a scenario like this one, or even you know phone calls or financial documents, etc.? Well, it, you know, I, as you look at different documents, different documents have different effects. So one of the primary ways that we were able to track certain members of uh, Al-Qaeda uh, in the early 2000s was through their financial transactions. So the NSA was able to tap telephones, tap bank accounts, and look at how money moved and who was moving it in order to uh, assess whether or not that, that individual was involved in illicit activities in the United States or elsewhere. Uh, and uh, we had to take some action. Now, um, there's certain other non-national security records requirements, banking laws, and et cetera, that come into play here. And all of those things have to be considered. So methods, ways and means, methods, and, and, and how we grab information from individuals, that has to be protected as well. So if, we're, if we have a particular 
methodology that we're using in order to gain information and release of that information would jeopardize the use of that methodology or uh, individuals who have helped us gain that information, those would be grounds not to release information. Right. And uh, as per this particular executive order, as an exercise of discretion, whether the public interest in disclosure of the information outweighs the damage to the national security that might reasonably be expected from the disclosure is very important. In your opinion, why do they give the attorney general's office that kind of discretionary authority? Well, the attorney general is um, an arbiter in this in this space. It's, they're the the individual who most likely did not classify the information um, at whatever level it was classified secret, top secret, confidential. Uh, and uh, the statute in the executive order refer back to the uh, attorney general as uh, the, an agency within the U.S. government uh, where appeals for these things will be taken after the agency itself has made a uh, determination. Mm -hmm. Are there any laws, in, including privacy laws, that may be in conflict with this or similar executive orders? Well, of course, FOIA and Privacy Act could pose a conflict in some ways. Uh, an individual seeking information about themselves that's been classified by the government um, has a level of right to that information. Uh, and so it should be at a higher level of scrutiny for the government to withhold that information from that individual. Uh, a FOIA request about an organization would probably fall in the same manner. And we have to think back uh, a number of years to an uh, operation called COINTELPRO, which mm -hmm. was an operation run by the federal government against the organizations that were advocating for civil rights and uh, the end of the Vietnam War uh, during the 60s. And uh, Jay Hoover and the FBI ran illegal operations against American citizens gathering information on them through illegal means, wiretaps, um, supplanting uh, individuals within the organizations to gather information and secrets and et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was two congressional committees, the church and the pike committees uh, reviewed those things, found that activity to be un-American on its face and illegal. And uh, certain rules were put in place afterwards. We're operating under those rules now. Right. And uh, now PEADs, Presidential Emergency Action Documents, have never been de declassified or revealed before now. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, some things I think the public just should not know because they affect the ability to gather more information. See, there's a difference between taking action intelligence and informational intelligence. Action intelligence, you want to arrest people and put them in jail. Information intelligence, you want to gather more information about these people, who they are and what they're doing, and maybe at a later point in time, put them in jail or um, as in some of the things that have done been done by presidents in the past, take military action, uh, whether it be overt or covert action, because the threat is that large and dangerous. Whether these particular documents, the, you know, the, as they relate to 2001 and September 11, they often relate to Al-Qaeda. And Al-Qaeda today is in a much weakened state than it was back then. Now, any 
organization has the ability to reconstitute itself. And we also have to be careful of uh, allowing ourselves to fall asleep and not watch them or give information out that will help them. So in the past, we haven't released these. Maybe this is a different circumstance because of the weakened state of Al-Qaeda. But I think as a general premise, uh, certain things should not be released to the general public. Right. And, and organizations like the Brennan Center for Justice, they've talked about the implications of releasing PEADs, however, or declassifying them. However, those have never been released directly. How will things change from now on, now that this has been done for the first time? Well, it sets a precedent. So if someone else will ask for this type of information. And what is the exception that you bring forth in order to not release it? So the, the way the executive order that President Biden wrote on this matter, it specifically targets the September 11th activities and investigations. And, and so if it's outside of that, your first exemption might be, well, the only thing that allowed these to be released was if they related to the September 11 attacks. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're asking for those type of documents that don't relate to September 11th, then the government might have the ability to say, I'll stop. We, we're not going to release those because there's a different determination about those documents than about the ones from September 11th. Right. Is there any clarity whatsoever on what FOIA covers or does not cover? Well, FOIA as a statute is fairly clear about what it covers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it looks at the information that the government holds in a system of reference. If the government has information in a system of reference, uh, it is de facto releasable unless it hits one of the FOIA exemptions. And the FOIA exemptions would then allow for a release not to happen. For instance, if it was an ongoing active law enforcement matter, that would allow for the agency to assert a FOIA exemption and not release the information. So if there are members of Al-Qaeda that were at large that we sought for a certain activity and someone asked for information through a FOIA request for that related to them, the agency searching for them, whether it be the uh, FBI or the CIA or you know, FBI in the U.S., CIA outside of the United States, um, with the assistance of maybe the United States military in certain aspects and certain conditions, might seek to not release that information on the FOIA because of the active engagement in trying to capture or eliminate that particular individual. Uh, so Senator Edward Markey proposed a bill to try and force the president to submit any PADs that come into effect for legal scrutiny. And those documents would have to be declassified within 180 days with a redacted version to be publicly released. What is your opinion about that? Well, so there's a, there's a similar activity under the War Powers Act or War Powers Resolution, where the United States commits its military forces to conflict. The president has a certain number of days, 60 and wish to go back to Congress and tell them what he's doing. He also has to go to the, the big eight uh, intelligence com community leaders in Congress and uh, the um, um, leaders of Congress and explain to them what the military action is. And after a certain period of time, if that explanation is not pertinent or accepted, Congress would vote to cut off the money. Now, that's the extreme. If you want to try to take 
what Senator Markey is doing and put it in that light. He's trying to assert those same type of controls. But we need to remember that the War Powers Resolution has been objected to by uh, presidents over time because, of course, it was passed over presidential veto because presidents see separation of powers and the ability to act in this manner as an executive branch, not a legislative branch activity. Now, reporting on it is a different story. But as Senator Markey's moving forward, he's not just reporting on it. It seems to me that he's also saying you must get permission in, in terms of these actions. It's a mother may I, which the executive branch is going to object to. Got it. So what exactly is an apocalyptic, apocalyptic crisis, if I'm pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, apocalyptic crises. Well, I mean, there's there's a, a bunch of those right now going on, depending on your perspective. You know, it's where you stand and look depends on what you see. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're in the Philippines and you're looking at the South China Sea, uh, you see it as yours. If you're in China looking at the South China Sea, you see it as yours. Different yeah. respects from different views. So apocalyptic crises. Um, we have a climate apocalyptic crisis underway, depending on your perspective. Uh, we have weather that's not in accordance with what our weather patterns have been in the past, heat, cold, snow, rain, floods, etc. cetera. Uh, we have insect populations, which are being affected by things that we've done, i.e. bees. Bees are an important aspect of our, our, um, our uh, environment. We have certain crops that are having problems. We have animals that are being eliminated by uh, human activity. So that could be considered an apocalyptic crisis. We have the ability for people to get fresh water um, in certain places around the world. Uh, as the heat increases, certain places are no longer uh, able to grow food. So agriculture could be an apocalyptic crisis. We have pollution in the air, which is affecting the ozone, which is allowing the earth to heat, which mm -hmm. is causing heating in the ocean, which is causing, you know, the ability to not farm crops. I mean, all of these could be apocalyptic crises, mm -hmm. um, whereas they have the potential to either reduce the ability to live in, a, in the United States and elsewhere, other parts of the world, or end certain life forms <laughs> on earth. Um, some people don't believe these things to be true. Right. Um, I happen to be in the school of thought that, you know, we have done things to our environment uh, and we're losing time and ability to reverse them. And if we wait too long, we will hit that apocalyptic level uh, where it becomes irreversible. Irreversible. Stuck where we are uh, in a bad place. Right. Other than environment, what else do you think is a major crisis or a similar crisis for the U.S. right now? Uh, would you call the recent gun violence um, a, a similar type of crisis, too? Or do you think that could be controlled? No, it can be controlled. And, and, and yes, it is at a crisis level. I don't know if it's an apocalyptic crisis level yet. Um, uh, and that that also may depend on the community. If you're uh, an African-American male in this country, your, your chances of being killed in gun violence are four times that of a white male. So is it apocalyptic for African-American males? Well, four times chance of dying? I would think so. 
Um, you know, so there's there's different perspectives on what an apocalyptic crisis is. Now, gun violence in America is higher than any place else in the world. Mm-hmm. We, we have a culture of guns that in many ways we refuse to recognize and we idolize things like the Wild West and mm-hmm. um, warfare. Um, people who serve in the military don't idolize warfare um, because they're the ones who are going to die um, yeah. in the fight. And uh, But people who play militia, play militia man mm-hmm. and run around the country uh, often do idolize those things. Now, they're, they've been growing since 2014. The mm-hmm. statistics show us that those type of domestic terror activities have been growing since 2014. And uh, we're seeing uh, a large number of lone wolf actors who have been um, radicalized um, mm-hmm. taking actions in, in the country. Is it at a apocalyptic level? It's not going to eliminate the way we uh, Americans uh, on the face of this earth, but it's having major effects in communities around the country. And it, it is something that needs to be culled and quelled. Mm-hmm. Um, the recent legislation uh, is a step, but not a step that's anywhere far enough to do that. To take care of that. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Professor, for being with us today. This, this was um, a very, very good session. Thank you for all the information. You're welcome. You guys have a great day.